0: I'm Kate and I'm Jessie, and you're listening to Cocktails and Content Creation. (laughs) Let's do this.
1: And then because I had worked on the brand side for so long, I knew what brands wanted. I knew what their goals were. I knew what their what their needs were.
2: Welcome to Cocktails and Content Creation, a podcast dedicated to helping you easily
0: create content with confidence. I'm Kate Andrews. And I'm Jesse Wyman. Welcome back to another episode of Cocktails and Content Creation. This is episode 76. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We'd love to know what you think. For
2: today's episode, we're chatting about all things influencer, which is kind of a... Um, Mystical magical world that even Mm -hmm. as someone who's been in it for the past couple of years, I'm still learning a lot about. Uh, and we have an expert on the show that's gonna help us, you know, figure out a little bit more about it. But before we go any further, what are you drinking today, Jesse?
0: Oh, it's just it's just the coffee today. Um, I'm actually like fresh out of summer drinks. I mean, I have a bunch of liquor in my cabinet. So I'll be uh, purchasing some more. I mean, the other alternative is to drink my husband's White Claws. And he got like this. They have like a new version of them this summer. And they're like 8% alcohol, which
2: is a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I just, it's funny. So you would come over for Ariel's birthday um, party at the end of May. And we had like some, for some reason, Alex picked up White Claws. Like we didn't really drink that. Like we love seltzer water in the house, but we'd never had white claws in the house before and I think think George like drank most of them while he was at the party, which is totally fine because as I said, we don't really drink them. So we had one left and I had it the other night and I was like, Hmm, I mean, not the 8% one. Yeah. It's Um, just the standard. It was just the standard one. It It was the lime flavor. And I was like, Hmm, that's pretty good. But, um, we've been, Uh, We finally got hit with COVID in this Mm -hmm. house. So we've been mostly drinking water to stay high. I've had symptoms. My mom has had symptoms. Ariel, no symptoms. Alex, no symptoms. So I've just been drinking a lot of water because for some reason I'm so thirsty all the time. Mm -hmm. Like that's been, that's, and that's been like the hang, the symptom that's hung on, like exhaustion. And like if I'm thirsty, I am thirsty. So Mm -hmm. water is always by my side, which is kind of, kind of boring for this time around. It's
0: always good to drink water. So.
2: Well, and I want to keep uh, I want to keep alert because I'm very interested in what Robin Mangano has to say. She is an influencer and the founder of Wave Collective, which was the first influencer management company in New England. And let's get into our interview. Robin Mangano is the owner and founder of Wave Collective, a full-service communications firm focused on public relations, social media, content creation, and influencer marketing. Robin and her team work with clients such as Primark and Shake Shack and many more. She is also the founder of The Golden Cod, an apparel and jewelry brand inspired by coastal New England living. Robin, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Well, we must start off with, since this is cocktails and content creation, what are you drinking or what would you be drinking if it was five o'clock in the afternoon? Up to you.
1: I usually drink, I start my day with water and cold brew, but if it was 5 p.m. in the afternoon, I have discovered this canned cocktail from a company called, I think it's Tip Topper's. Uh, But it's these cute little cocktails that um, are pre-made and I really like their margarita. And so I really liked pouring that over ice recently.
2: I could have used that during the pandemic because I love a good margarita. And of course, we weren't going anywhere. So there was no margaritas to be had. I'll have to check that out. All right. Well, now that we've got the fun stuff out of the way, let's get into more of the fun stuff. Tell us a little bit about your journey and what it is that you do.
1: Of course. So as you mentioned, I'm the founder of Wave Collective and the Golden Cod. My journey, it started about 10 or 12 years ago. I honestly can't remember how old I am. And um, it began in traditional public relations. So the first few years of my post-college career was spent uh, doing, like I said, traditional public relations for several TV show hosts on NBC and CBS. I was a junior publicist, and it was kind of how I dipped my toes in the world of of media relations and and broadcast and entertainment. It was wild, I will say. Um, And because I was doing actually the PR for uh, television hosts like Judge Judy and Maury and Jerry Springer and Steve Wilkos, so it was wild. That's all I can say. Eventually, I uh, ended up moving to New York City, and I left PR for a bit because I I've always had this interest in photography, and I really wanted to dabble in a few other industries to see kind of what my true calling was for work. And I ended up working just by chance. Um, A friend of a friend had a job opening as a studio assistant for a studio in New York city, a photo studio. I had no idea who their clients were um, what type of work they did, honestly, I think this is like your typical 22-year-old, not to say every 22-year-old is like this, but I was 22 years old. I was told, hey, we need a, fo- a studio assistant to come in and order lunches and make sure... All of the product is on, at the right studio, you know, direct people to the correct studio they're in for the photo shoot that they're doing. And on my first day, I realized that their clients were Ralph Lauren and Vince Camuto and Jessica Simpson. Um, So I was a bit shocked. And I hate to admit that I was just so naive to that to that world. But it ended up being a really exciting two years for me, where I learned everything about the production of a photo shoot, specifically for e commerce. So that's what our specialty was. Then I started dating um, one of my best guy friends from college, and we were kind of done, or at least I was done with the New York City life. So we packed up and moved to San Diego, where I found myself back in the PR world. Um, I started doing a PR at an agency for restaurants and hotels, and I was able to take my experience from my first and second job and, and bring this to this new role. And then... After a few years in San Diego, uh, we realized it was time to come back home to New England. And so I came to Boston. I worked for another PR agency here where, again, I was doing restaurant and hospitality work. This was when social media was really blowing up. So a lot of our clients started asking us as publicists to then also oversee their, their social media. So it was all falling under um, the job responsibilities of a publicist. And then that's where this world of influencer marketing started. We started to notice that a lot of the media outlets that we were pitching our clients to, they were great. We got really amazing editorial pieces, but when we started to invite food bloggers into the restaurant, we just started to see, social numbers and reservations just skyrocket. And we felt like this was something we really needed to focus on was this new growth of influencers. Over time, I decided I wanted to leave the agency. I'd always wanted to own my own company. I didn't know years prior what that was going to look like, but I took everything that I felt like we needed to provide a client which was PR, social media, content creation, influencer partnerships. And I wanted to to all live under one umbrella. And so that's where Wave Collective started.
2: And you guys were like the first in the area.
1: We were the first agency in the area to launch an influencer talent division. Mm -hmm. We launched that about a year after we started the company. It wasn't one of our original services, Our original service was absolutely doing influencer partnerships for brands, so being on the brand side. And then as even my own personal social media began to grow, I was able to get this essentially 360-degree perspective of the industry where I understood what an influencer wanted. I understood how influencers created content, how they saw partnerships, what kind of their needs were, what they could give brands. And then because I had worked on the brand side for so long, I knew what brands wanted. I knew what their goals were. I knew what their, what their needs were. And so I felt like it seemed like a very seamless new service to provide at the agency where we could represent brands, but we could also represent influencers as well.
2: Now, kind of taking it back to your own journey as an influencer, like what did you start what, how, Like, what was your niche to begin with? Or did you have a niche and how did that kind of evolve?
1: Yep. So I, like I mentioned, have always loved photography as just a hobby. I am that friend that documents everything, whether it never sees the light of day besides just being in my photo album. I actually looked this morning. I think I have 25,000 photos in my my album on my phone and I just am always documenting And so at the time I had my Instagram, I think Instagram had been around for, I don't know, probably four or five years, but influencers actually weren't really using Instagram at that time quite yet to the point that it is now. Everyone was very focused on blogs. And so I loved writing. I love photography. I was working. This was actually at the agency I first came out here in Boston. I... Um, We were partnering with influencers, inviting them to restaurants, having them write about hotel stays and their, you know, trips places. And I had thought not like I can do this, but I want to do this too. You know, I love writing. I love storytelling. I love photography. I want to share, you know, I'm going to Newport this weekend. I want to share where to stay, where to eat and what to do, or I'm going to Block Island. And I want to share with people how to get there, um, how to spend a a day there rather than a weekend. And so it kind of just gradually morphed where I was just posting what I liked and sharing, what was exciting and interesting to me. And it started as a blog and I would share a photo on my Instagram to promote the blog post. And I started to notice that the photography that had a touch more care to it, where I was a little bit more thoughtful about what the photo looked like. And it wasn't just a photo from my night out with friends. I saw that if I geotagged, if I used the right hashtag. Tags, um, it would just outperform all of my other content. And so, just because I'm somewhat of like an analytical person, I wanted to understand why this was happening. What was why was this content so much more attractive to people who were following me than others? I learned that if you tagged certain accounts, they would repost you and give you credit. And so, that was a really early on strategy that I followed that helped. Honestly, with growth exponentially, that was probably the biggest kind of like growth hack was that back in the day, if I posted a flat lay of my meal from a restaurant and I tagged, you know, Boston foodies or all of our, you know, IG Boston or IG New England, they would go repost me and they would give me credit. And then I would get honestly hundreds, sometimes thousands of new followers of coming from their accounts. And so I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And then over time, I kind of found my my niche, which isn't really a niche. It was just New England lifestyle. And, and then I just went with it.
2: That's It's so interesting that you started this. You kind of saw where the industry was going already. Now, as you grew, as you saw that following grow, did you yourself hire a talent manager? I mean, I know you were the first one kind of in this area, but There have been others, you know, you had that experience in New York that's been going on for a while. Did you yourself hire a talent manager or did you and do you still continue to pitch yourself to brands when you're partnering with them?
1: No, I never hired a talent manager because I actually didn't even secure my first paid partnership until probably two or three years in. I think at that point I had maybe. I broke, I think, 30,000 followers, and I was just doing everything at that point for trade, which I loved because I would have a hotel ask for me to stay there and then provide coverage, or um, a brand was having a pop-up event, and they would invite uh, me to come and document it and share with my followers, and at that time, it was just so much fun. Not to say it's not fun now, but back then, I was living in Boston. Um, I I was very social. I loved going to events. I loved networking. It actually worked wonders for me because I would attend as an influencer and I would become really good friends with all the influencers there and then I would go back to work the next day and email them and say, "Hey, I'm working on a restaurant opening and we're having our grand opening party next week. Do you want to come?" So, I was kind of able to like infiltrate the influencer events as a publicist, which I think actually led to a lot of our success in launching in launching Wave was those relationships with influencers. So to answer your original question, no, I've never hired a talent, a talent manager. I have always just represented myself along the ways. We just, I learned how to read a contract, what, you know, how to value yourself. I am... I read everything. And so I was just reading every single article, every single book, listening to podcasts, trying to understand like, what is the value of an Instagram post? What is a good engagement rate? How much you should charge if a brand wants to use your content in ads versus if they just want to share it organically? How much you should charge if they want exclusivity? Um, and it just over time, my my interest in the industry just grew and grew and grew. And, and again, just to answer your original question, no, I am (laughs) self-managed.
2: Now I, so this isn't in our original questions, but it does, it is something that kind of comes to my mind. So many influencers that have gotten to your point, um, and even larger, they may not, they instead of starting an into you know a social media agency or an influencer managing agency they'll do like an e course or something where they teach people how to pitch themselves they'll teach people you know what gets good engagement on instagram why why did you go the route that you did instead of like doing an e course or something
1: i think because i don't technically see myself as a a coach which I think the coaching industry is is really massive right now, and I think some of them do a very phenomenal job at that. I don't want to get you know hate for this, but I I find that a lot of the courses end up being repurposed from other people. So there'll be one person that creates the course, maybe someone takes the course and then thinks you know what I could do this too, and then they go launch a course. And again. I think that's fine. I think if that's how influencers are able to kind of have a side hustle to their influence um, and brand partnerships and make money that way, that is amazing. But I also think it came down to time where at Wave, we do, we work with brand like, like I said, brands like Primark, brands like Shake Shack, and we are also doing PR and social media and content creation And we can only do so much. And so I think we just realized, you know, let's stick to what we're really great at, which is that. And we probably could have made like a few extra dollars by launching an e-course, but that takes time, that takes resources, that takes marketing, that takes paid ads. And it just kind of didn't make sense for us.
2: No, I I see where where you're talking about. And I mean, you already, you know, you're already doing so well with Wave. And as you said, you kind of started, started almost organically by having these relationships and then inviting people in. So why not go that route? Now, you mentioned a little bit earlier what it's been like to work on both sides of the spectrum in terms of, you know, working with the brands as an influencer and then working as like that that person in between, between a brand and another influencer. What has that taught you about your own, you know, your own influence as well as the entire industry as a whole?
1: I have learned that there is still so much for everyone to learn where I wish there were more industry standards that the value of an Instagram post, I I wish there could just be a value, but, but then I understand why there's not, you know, if you have a, an influencer who has a hundred thousand followers and their engagement rate is 10%, but then another one with the same amount of followers, their engagement rate is 3%, then I understand why influencer one has to, um, or will charge more, but sometimes I don't know if brands understand that, or sometimes I don't think influencers realize that they're undervaluing themselves or they're overvaluing their content. So that's where I'm on the brand side and an influencer mm-hmm. will say, hey, my fee is this. And I try to justify it by looking at their engagement rates, the type of content they're producing, and we just don't see eye to eye. And so we, we move on to someone else. But then there's influencers that that I find that when we're working with them, they'll give us their quote and I'll be like, man, they really should be charging more. But you know what? If that's the fee that they're going to propose to us, that's great. Cause now we can probably on more onboard more influencers for our campaign. Um, So yeah, I think there's just, there's not enough. uh, I just wished that the value of posts and engagement rates was just more clear to influencers and, and brands, but the industry is so massive now. I don't know if we'll ever really like, get to a point where that will happen.
2: I totally understand what you're saying because I know when a brand comes back to me and asks me, like, you know, how much, how much did you charge for for this? And you know everybody wants, I mean, there's definitely the standard packages, you know, an Instagram post and, you know, one Instagram story with three to five reels, like that's in, you know, pretty standard a lot of times, but a lot of times they come back and they'll request, you know, a link in bio or um, event, you know, actually attending the event and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they come back and they'll ask like, what would you charge for this? And I'm constantly like. Well, what would I charge for this? And then, you know, you're, you're doing even as somebody who's I, I've worked in this for two or three years now, I'm still looking and like trying to figure out my own value, my own worth in the industry. And so many times, like I'll come back with a number and, you know, they'll jump right at it. And I'm like, oh man, I totally didn't give, you know, didn't, didn't charge enough, but then yeah. I'll do this, you know, then the next time I'll do something else. I'll do, you know, somebody will be asking for a very similar package. I'll give them almost the same exact quote. And they're like, Oh, you know what we can, you know, that's not in our price range. Like right now we'll contact you when we have a bigger budget or something like that. So there is definitely this, uh, there isn't an industry standard when it comes to rates that you would charge. And I mean, it does, you have to take into account followers. You have to take into account engagement rate. You have to take into account, again, what they're specifically asking you. So it, there isn't, There isn't like a book. There isn't like a how to do this kind of thing.
1: Exactly. And that's why now putting on my like talent manager hat is when we work with our influencers, we come up with their rates. And when a brand asks us, like, what is your rate for these deliverables? We give it to them. And if they just can't meet us at that number, or even within like 10 or 15% of it, we're not going to just say yes to say yes, um, unless they knock off a deliverable or they reduce the exclusivity time. Or, you know, if they say they want to whitelist the content for a year, we tell them you can whitelist it for 90 days. So there is kind of a negotiation period where we always will go out with what we are valued at and, and then try to take it at that point to the next step based on budget and what the deliverables are.
2: I I
0: I was going to say, I actually actually have a question that's kind of tied to this. So I'm a photographer. I work with uh, mainly personal brands. And so thinking about it from the photography side, and it's interesting to hear So influencing is like not my world. So it's like such a great conversation that I'm like learning so much. But I guess part of these variables Probably include the quality of the photography that they can provide or videography, right? I mean, at what point is the value more on the influence versus the actual photographic or video content? And does that ever, like, do they ever, would they ever go with an influencer that maybe has better quality content visually and maybe like, compromise on the, um, you know, the stats, the following and the engagement rate? Have you ever seen, I don't know if you have anything to add, like comment on yeah,
1: that. I actually had a conversation with one of our clients about this yesterday, where it all comes down to what the brand's goals are. Mm-hmm. So if the brand says, all I care about is selling product within this time frame," then I would purely look for influencers who have a high engagement rate and who are super active on Instagram stories and have them create very user generated content where it's not super polished. It literally looks like it's someone FaceTiming their friends being like, you need to wear this sunscreen or like, I just went to the grocery store and I picked up this product. Like, here's my code. If you want 10% off. So in that case, like obviously we want like some quality to the content, but yeah. it's definitely not very highly produced. But if the brand says, I want to work with influencers because we want to cut back on the production costs for these massive, massive photo shoots we were doing, and we want to be able to use that content on our website, our newsletters, on our social, our paid ads, great if they get us some sales, but to us, you know, the content is key that we can repurpose, then they're going to look to work with influencers who have really, really, really highly produced and creative content because for them, that's more interest. That's what their goal is. So that's why also I kind of always try to tell influencers like, Hey, if a brand doesn't choose you sometimes for a campaign, and you see a lot of your peers included. It might not have to do with you. It might just have to do with the brand's goals. And, you know, for example, I rarely actually never speak to the camera on my Instagram stories. I am like deathly afraid to speak on camera. So I don't actually get reached out to by a lot of consumer packaged good companies because all they want is me to speak on camera and talk about their product as if I'm FaceTiming a friend and telling them, Hey, Oh my God, you need to use this dry shampoo. But I will get a lot of interest from hotels and tourism boards because I really like photography. And I I try to spend a lot of time on creating, you know, good photos that then the hotel will want me to send my album of images to them after that they can repurpose. And so I'll sometimes see again, like, brands working with a lot of my peers here in Boston. And I used to think, oh, why didn't they pick me? But now I'm like, you know what? Probably because I'm just not the right fit for what their goals are. As someone That's- who who feels that
2: way very often, it's nice to hear because mm-hmm. it's often I'll see like people going to, you know, a certain event or yeah, they have like a lot of my my friends in the industry will get like the same campaigns. And I'm kind of sitting here and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what it is. And I, while I have done the whole talk to the camera thing, I haven't lately just because life gets in the way and it's, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's funny because I used to be, um, a TV news reporter. So I'm actually very used to being in front of the camera. So you'd think like that would just be like my thing to do, but it's, it's not a lot of the time. So it's nice to hear that it just depends on what the brand is looking for, not just in terms of following and engagement, but also your, your style essentially is what you're saying.
1: Absolutely. I will say though, and this is kind of my detriment to where I, I shifted my personal goals. I don't do a lot of brand partnerships. sorry, brand partnerships myself much anymore because I'm really focused on wave and the golden cod, but I will say our influencers that we do see receive the most partnerships are ones that speak on camera and the reason why is because their engagement rates are usually like skyrocketing because again when you're when you open your phone and you press the Instagram story button and someone's face pops up and they're talking to the camera psychologically it feels like they're talking to you so then you start to almost subconsciously build a relationship with this person and you start to trust them And now all of a sudden you want to watch every single one of their Instagram stories and you're really invested in their life and everything that they're promoting and sharing. And it creates actually this sadly false sense of relationship in reality because that influencer might have a hundred thousand followers and might not have any idea who you are, but you feel like you're connected with them because they're literally speaking to the camera through you. So brands know that. And so they know, okay, this person. You know, is constantly talking to their audience and obviously has like a trust factor with the people that follow them. So, if they're promoting a product, it's much more likely that their audience is going to buy it because they trust what they're promoting. So, not to say you can't be successful as an influencer if you don't do that. I've just seen that when I look at the numbers for our influencers, the ones that speak to the camera more often often get more deals, bigger deals. Um, and, and that's just kind of the trend that we've seen.
2: No, it makes sense because, you know, I, it's funny, one of your clients actually prep of Boston I've never met her. It's weird. Cause we actually have friends in common, like, and she's from my area and everything, but I've never met her, but like, she's constantly speaking to the camera. And I, I almost feel like I do know her, not just because we know people in common, but because she does that. And then, but then like a sequined life, I don't know if you know, Danielle yeah. Connell. Yeah. So she, she does the same thing. I actually have hung out with her a couple of times and consider her a friend. And it's like, it's almost like I have the same connection to her and to Prabha Boston, who I've never met. So I, I get what you're saying and I think I need to work on that. So this brings it down. To, so you mentioned a little bit of, earlier about what a talent manager does. What Can you go a little bit deeper into that and as well as like how somebody would go about finding a talent manager and what they can expect in terms of like, do they pay out of pocket right away or is it mm-hmm. commissions based or what do you do at WAVE, I should say?
1: Yep. I think even before that, when someone's looking for a talent manager, it's really to understand why. So we will, we get a lot of inquiries to wave where it's an influencer saying, I really want more brand partnerships. And when I hear that, I already know that we're not the right fit for them because what we do is we manage their partnerships because they have so many partnerships, it's massively overwhelming to them and they need help from more of an administrative perspective. So if an influencer has so many partnerships that they just can't keep up with the emails, the negotiations, the contracts, the project management, creating the content, posting the content, engaging with your audience, the reporting, the invoicing, following up with the invoicing following up with invoicing again, taxes. If you're at that point where your head is about to explode and you know that you're doing really well, but if you just had a little bit of help from an administrative perspective or, you know, someone it could be kind of in your corner telling you, hey, you should be charging double what your posts are. Like, let us be that kind of middle person for you that will get you what you're valued at that's where we would be a good fit. But I often feel like, and this is kind of what we dealt with early on when we started the division, some influencers, they want a manager because they don't have enough partnerships. And they think that a manager will just miraculously get them partnerships. And yes, we are absolutely doing outbound pitching while we also handle any inbound anchories. but again it's almost like it's almost like if you're sitting there thinking i don't have enough brand partnerships so i need a manager it's the exact opposite it's i have so many partnerships that i have to literally say no to stuff because i don't have time to handle them all that's when you need a manager and so i kind of just rolled through really quickly what we do but we do everything from almost all brand communication with for incoming and outgoing partnerships, we find out what are the deliverables? What are the usage? Um, here's what our influencer charges. Um, okay. That's not in your budget. Well, let's reduce some of the, the deliverables or let's reduce the usage. Um, then there's contracts that have to be signed. Then we will send our influencers all of the creative briefs and deliverables in um, really clear ways so that they can digest what they need to do, what their deadlines are, um, because if they have ten different campaigns going on at once, that can be insane. Um we provide feedback on the creative. So if they send something and we already know the brand is likely going to make a revision, we'll kind of talk through it with them, or if it's simply like copy that can be changed. that's that's super simple as well. Then we, uh make sure that all of the content is posted when it needs to be. Um we get all of the reporting from our influencers so that we can deliver that to the brand. We take care of all of the invoicing, all of the follow-up, um, and and it's literally full service from from start to finish. I think one thing you just asked is how do influencers pay for this? It's all commission-based. So We only make money when our influencers make money. There is no upfront fees. There's no retainers. Um, Literally, a brand will pay our agency the influencer's fee, and we take our cut. And then we do biweekly payroll, and we send them their payment.
2: So like like a regular talent manager for like an actor or something like that works. Okay. So, wow. So... I really I'm glad you explained the the point about coming to you asking for more collaborations because I think that is something that people would just kind of assume is is mm-hmm. kind of what a what a manager does is kind of solves that problem whereas you're actually solving the backlog problem which is they have yeah. way too much going on.
1: Exactly, it's it's interesting we find our sweet spot is working with influencers who also have full-time jobs and don't want to give up the full-time job, but don't want to give up the brand partnerships. And so we find that those are almost the best relationships with our influencers that we can have because we handle everything for them while they're at work. And then they have a nice little email that they get with their projects, deadlines, you know, what they're going to get paid for it. Obviously we tell them, you know, hey, do you want us to confirm this partnership for you with these deliverables and these rates? We don't just go and move forward with something without talking it through with them, but they finish up work. They see what kind of like their homework is and they go and create the content and essentially they can double or triple, you know, the amount of partnerships they're doing because we're handling everything for them leading up to them actually having to create the content. So then you
0: should do this for photographers. <laughs> like if I, I could just show, show up if I could just show up and shoot. Oh my gosh. Like here's yep. here's I- what you need to shoot.
1: <laughs> I've actually thought about that before because we have experienced that here I was like man, I wish we could actually just represent photographers like honestly because at at wait, you would be
2: your first client so there you I
1: go <laughs> but what ends up happening is we get actually at this point so many inquiries to for from clients for photo shoots that we have started to think like okay we need to outsource because like we have three in-house photographers and we're at the point where like that's not even enough and like the amount of of projects that come in and so i've, I've actually talked to our team being like should we represent influence uh, influencers photographers and like outsource some of these projects to them based on like who's the right fit so we've thought about it
2: jesse I you should it.
0: continue to think about it yes because, i mean <laughs> yes
2: keep it's... keep keep jesse's email robin keep jesse's email but, um finally you know you kind of mentioned about what you know brands liking the fact that people you know influencers are talking to the camera what other trends do you see being kind of the make or break for influencers if somebody if somebody really wants to grab those brand partnerships if somebody wants to get on somebody's you know some brand's radar what trends should they be adopting going forward
1: absolutely tiktok or just video in general again i look at our own roster and i can see the trends on paper. It's very black and white that our influencers who within the last year started to venture over to TikTok and create content there, still creating and posting content for their Instagram. But Mm -hmm. I've seen their revenue for the year double and triple already. Um, We have one influencer who, let's say she made X in 2019. She launched her TikTok in 2020. So that kind of That revenue, I think, rose by like 20%. And now she's now in 2022, she's already doubled her revenue that she made in 2019. And it's only June. So I know this year is going to be massive for her. And it's literally because she saw what platforms were taking off. She moved over to TikTok, started creating content over there building a following. What actually is great is it not only increases your um, brand partnerships, but a lot of people who follow you on TikTok will then go and follow you on Instagram. So I think she is almost tripled her audience on Instagram over the past year because of the crossover from TikTok. So I would say that is super important is Knowing that Instagram is trying to compete with TikTok. And so they're very much pushing video content on their platform through Instagram Reels. And then TikTok obviously knows they've kind of created this sweet spot for creators. And so, brands, I mean, every single brand partnership we get, they want one Instagram post, Instagram stories, and a TikTok. And across the board, that's always what they want. Wow. That's good and to know. Back, and if we come back and say, hey, you know they don't have tiktok it can go either way they'll either say okay great can you do an instagram reel instead or they might say sorry this is a campaign that requires a tiktok to be included
2: all right so tiktok is mm-hmm. the future
1: i will stay with that,
2: instagram but you know i
1: will say it's very interesting to me when a brand reaches out saying we want one tiktok one instagram post and stories and we go back and say well, this influencer doesn't have a TikTok. And then they'll say, okay, we can't work with you. And then my thought is, well, if you were reaching out, wouldn't you know if that influencer had a TikTok? Yeah. And so again, this is like the 360 thinking where if I was a brand rep and it was a TikTok specific campaign. You would have done your homework. I wouldn't have reached out to that influencer unless I knew they had a TikTok. So yeah. Okay that's kind of
2: what I was thinking when you said that. I was like, shouldn't they already know whether you know what kind of following these people have and engagement and all that kind of stuff? Yes. All would. right. So TikTok video is the future, and that's what people really need to kind of be investing their time into if they want to make it in the realm of influencers. Yeah.
1: But Rob- again, if if you if someone doesn't have time to do that, lean into Instagram stories. Again, that's video yeah. content that is not what TikTok loves unpolished video content and that's what Instagram stories are so i don't want people to think like oh i'll never become an influencer because i just i can't do TikTok that's not true you can still become an influencer um with a a blog with instagram posts instagram stories it's not the end all be all we've just seen this trend that right now it's what's hot, you know, and honestly, in a year or so, it might be a different platform or people might be sick of video and might say,
0: you know what? I just want to look at photos again.
2: I know Jesse's thinking amen to that.
0: Yes. (laughs) I I mean, I consume a lot of video content. I consume more video content on TikTok. Like I'm not, for whatever reason, I don't consume reels. Mm hmm. And I'm I'm strange. only
2: making reels right now. So it's like, <laughs> I got to get onto TikTok. That's my, I have one. I need to get my stuff on there. So, well, Robin, this has been fantastic. You've really kind of shed a light on all things influencer, which is kind of a, a weird um, industry to begin with. So we really appreciate it. Where can people learn more about you as well as Wave Collective?
1: You can follow me on Instagram at Robin Mangano, Robin with two B's. You can follow Wave's Instagram, which is We Are Wave Collective. And you actually can follow us on, on TikTok. We do have a company TikTok. It's a little bit silly. Or you can just go to our website, www.wearewavecollective.com.
2: Well, thank you so much for everything. We appreciate you coming on the
0: show and have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you. So obviously this is not really my world, but it was a fantastic conversation nonetheless. Um, but one of the big, oh, maybe I need to drink some water. Maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe I need to go get my water bottle and not be drinking coffee all day. Um, but one of the big things that I you know and of course I asked this question to her was you know how and in, in discovering what the right rate is and what the negotiation looks like like how much value is put on the influencing side versus the actual like photographic or video content quality as a photographer that was really interesting um to know and her response was perfect and that it you know, of course, isn't like a direct response. It kind of depends on the goals of the brand, but in that some brands will actually value the photography or the videography production a little bit more. They might, you know, let the influencing slide a little bit and put more value onto the photography skill set of the particular influencer. So I thought that that was really interesting, at least from my perspective, Mm -hmm. Um, but overall fantastic conversation.
2: Well, for me, it was... um... Getting on TikTok, which I have, as I said, I have a TikTok account. I just, you know, have been more of a lurker than a poster, is what I want to, is how I want to put it, which sounds kind of creepy. Me too. So, you know, and I'm already, as I said, I'm only posting reels at this point. So, you know, making a couple changes in my video or maybe, you know, adding a different cover photo. Fo- I don't know if you even do cover photos. Like that's how new I am to TikTok. Like making some changes and just putting that also on TikTok. It- not going to take me that much more time to do so you know I'm definitely going to work on that I'm definitely going to work on getting back to I used to do speaking on my stories a lot Um, but then you know I had uh, a miscarriage back in January and I just didn't feel like getting in front of the camera for a long time and you know it's now June and it's been a lot of a lot of been processing a lot. So I'm feeling a little bit more up to it. So I think I'm going to try and get back on that. But the one of the big takeaways, and it's kind of funny, is someone who wanted to be an actress and kind of knew this about the business, is that they want you to come to them because you have so many opportunities in your lap that you can't manage it, which seems like a chicken and an egg conundrum. Like, how do you get partnerships without having a manager, you know, to help you? And that certainly is true in the acting world. Like, when you come to a manager in the acting world, like, they want to see that you have stuff, but how are you supposed to get it if you don't have a manager? What's so nice about the influencer world is you can, because influencer management is so new, you can act as your own manager in a way and reach out to brands. And, you know, I can't tell you how many brands have reached out to me in the past week. Like, all of a sudden, I'm getting, like, I got... 10 requests last week for different stuff. Some of them like more of the personalized, like, Hey, you know, actually knowing who I am and knowing what I do. And then other ones being more of the standard, like, Hey, you, we saw you on Instagram, but some of them are like, like, yeah, yeah. I get those every week, but these, these ones that came in that were a little more generic were actually legit. And I was like, wow, this is nice. And I have COVID and I can't go anywhere. (laughs) Mm. I can't do anything. Um, So luckily, most of them I've been able to kind of push off. And so we're all healthy and, uh, you know, negative testing negative again. Um, So it is it is kind of amazing to see what's all of a sudden coming in. So who knows, maybe in a couple of months, I'll need somebody to help me manage my stuff. It would be the dream. Mm -hmm. I have to Mm -hmm. say. All right. Well, now that you know a little bit more about influencing and uh, what it takes to be an influencer, thank you so much for listening to Cocktails and Content Creation. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Cocktails and Content Creation Community, and you can leave us a comment about what you would like us to talk about. We are not on TikTok, but we are on Instagram at Cocktails and Content Creation. So we'd love it if you give us a follow and you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. I'm Kate Andrews and you can follow me for now just on Instagram baby steps at <laughs> Fashionably Kate and Co.
0: And I'm Jesse Wyman. You can follow me on Instagram at Jesse Wyman photos, or if you're interested in brand photography and want to learn more about that genre, you can follow me at the brand photographer method for tips and tricks on how to get into that type of photography. Make sure to tune in next time for another great episode of Cocktails and Content Creation. Until then, cheers to your next cocktail. And happy content creator.